Hi, I'm Rosie Acosta. I'm a meditation teacher, speaker, and author of You Are Radically Loved, a healing journey to self-love. Look, I grew up in East Los Angeles during the 92 LA riots, and it set me on a troubled path. I didn't grow up with mentors in my life, so I turned to reading as many books as I possibly could to learn about the purpose of life. In my journey, I found that having these conversations gave me life, and I decided I wanted to create a place where I could share these conversations with my community. So come have a sit with me as we learn about, well, everything. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Radically Loved podcast. This is Tessa. We have a very special guest on the show today. We have Basavi Kumar, who is the author of Say It Out Loud, Using the Power of Your Voice to Listen to Your Deepest Thoughts and Courageously Pursue Your Dreams. Basavi is joining us from Playa del Carmen today because I think very smartly she chose to take a break and give herself some time after birthing this book into the world, which came out May 16th. Am I right on that date? Yeah. I mean, as we're recording this today, it came out a month and nine days ago. Yeah. Oh no, I, wait, I, I, I'm actually not doing the math right. It came out a month and 11 days ago. Look at me. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do math either. So yeah. you are in good company, my friend. <laughs> yes. Vasavi is a life coach and a licensed therapy and has a myriad of in-person print, televised and social media experience. She's also a first-generation Indian American. She's grown up in Long Island and was diagnosed with bipolar disorder at the age of 19. She learned to become extremely self-aware and take action to create the life she wanted for herself. And so, yeah, that's just a little bit of background about Asavi, and I will let her add to it if she'd like to. And tell us how you're doing today. Yes, absolutely. So um, I want to... What I want to say about the bio, I don't want to add, I actually want to delete. I practiced therapy and coaching for about 11 years after I wrote my book, which came out May 16th. I don't know. I felt this sense of like completion. You know, it's like the 41 years of lessons and everything. Well, actually the book came out two days before I turned 41. There was something really beautiful about like, once the book was out, I felt this sense of completion. And I really am allowing myself to lean into other ways for me to be more of me and still add value to the world in a creative way. So for so long in my life, my way of you know contribution to the world was in the form of therapy and coaching, right? And then I wrote this book, which I'm very proud of. And after that, I was like, I'm done with the therapy and I'm done with the coaching and I just don't want to do that anymore. And God was already showing me different ways that I could use my gifts. Like, for example, I've hosted two of my very good girlfriends. They just wrote books themselves. My girlfriend, Dr. Nita Bushin, she's one of my best friends in Austin. I hosted her book launch party. I was an MC, And then I hosted another book launch party uh, shortly after my book came out. So my point in sharing this story, you know, because you read my bio, I think we really need to allow ourselves to outgrow different versions of ourselves and trust that voice within us that's like, I don't want to do this anymore. Great. Time is up. Let's find something else. You know, like, why do we feel like we need to stick it out with something, you know? And so that's what I wanted to say about who I am today. Cause you know, bios always get a little outdated as the person evolves and, and grows. So that's me in a nutshell. I'm just happy to be that. here. Yeah. yeah. We're happy to have you. Oh, there's so much freedom in that. I don't want to do this anymore statement and honoring that. And I think 
if, at least for me, I'd, I'd be curious to hear what you think, what your experience has been in coaching people um, in your own life and you know, just in general, what you found around the idea of how hard that is to actually do. And first of all, say out loud and then kind of follow up on that because we have this fear of maybe fear of failure, maybe fear of missing out, maybe fear of you know, oh, well, what if I just hold on another month? And how do we know when is the time to say, I really don't want to do this anymore? Or when it would really maybe serve us to hold on for that extra month. And then we would have, you know, quote unquote, our our next big break. Here are my thoughts on this. Such a good question. I like to give myself time to process things and think about it. I'm in the season where I I like to say to others and to myself, let me sleep on it. You know, I always like to sleep on it because I don't know if you don't know anything about human design. I'm a generator. And so I have like endless amounts of energy and I can just do all day and I need rest. I need to not just, oh, you deserve rest. It's like, no, rest is crucial. It is a part of my daily lifestyle, just like going out and hustling and and doing work and doing that. It's just as vital to me, if not more. But the way that I usually know when time is up is, I know myself and I know that when I am lit up by something, I can do it all day and I don't get burnt out by it and I'm happy doing it. And I listen to that ugh in my body when it's like, I don't want to do this. This is not fun. And it's it's a different uh than like a just being a little lazy. You got what I'm saying? It's just like, come on, you can just push yourself a little bit, you know? So when it comes to my the way that I creatively express myself in this world. I just think if there was a little kid having fun and then they didn't want to do something anymore, I wouldn't say, no, but go back to doing that. I would like, we need to trust that part of us. That's like, I'm just not in it anymore. You know, we have to trust that. And so that might take time, but it also might just require a lot of quiet, you know, so you can hear yourself and feel yourself. So it's different for everybody, but I like to give myself time and I don't really wear I used to wear like tolerating stuff as a badge of honor. Like, oh, I can handle it. I want to handle it anymore. I want to just put up with it anymore, right? If I'm not feeling something in my life, that doesn't mean I just go from thing to thing to thing. I'm a Taurus. I'm very like methodical and and, and grounded in in my approach. It's, I just used to think that putting up with something and pushing through, I wore that like a badge of honor and I just don't anymore. So I would invite your audience to really ask themselves, you know, what would life feel like if I did walk away from this, whatever it is, and allow yourself to visualize and also feel what that would feel like in your body. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. That's such a powerful exercise. Yeah. The thing that usually comes up for me first is like the, if we can get through the fear of X, Y, and Z, whatever that may be, and let ourselves actually imagine. I do this all the time, you know, as an entrepreneur and thinking about, okay, well, I left the corporate work world to create this life for myself. So even just breaking it down to today, what do I want my life to look like? Because mm-hmm. I can choose what that is. I actually mm-hmm. now do have the power. And that's why one of the reasons why I made the pivot. What do I actually want my day to look like? Instead of being trapped in that fear of, oh, I have to produce, so I have to muscle my way through this. Oh, I chose this, so I guess I got to stick with Mm -hmm. it, you know? So I love what you're saying. Thank you. I think a great question for people to ask themselves first thing in the morning instead of what do I need to do is when am I having fun today? Like making that a priority. Like, what am I doing for fun today? Listen, I'm never going to miss my phone calls and my client calls. And I know when I got to get my social done. And I know what I know I'm a machine. 
I've learned to trust myself, boss. You're going to get the job done. Go have fun. Like, I've just learned that about myself. Like, does it really need to be done today? Like, and not everything is an emergency. I don't need to wake up and, and be on in do mode, right? I think a great question to ask yourself is what am I doing for fun and play to shake up my creative energy? What am I doing for my, just for the fun of it with no agenda, right? And then when we can allow ourselves to be in that, we can take that same free, playful energy and put that in our work. And then work doesn't feel like work. You know, when you're doing something, Tessa, and you're like, oh, I don't want to do this. But then you're like, let me just push through. I always say, unless obviously if it's a strong deadline, right? Or if it's like a, if, if it's a non-negotiable deadline, if you're like, oh, I don't want to do this. And if you have the ability to just be like, you know what? I'm going to walk away because I don't like this part of myself right now. I'm starting to push through. I'm starting to be like a Mack truck and it's, I, you can feel your body tense up. That's when I say to myself, I'm walking away for a second. I'm going to do something. I'm going to play with my golden retriever. Always works. I'm going to FaceTime a friend. I'm going to maybe scroll social and look at some funny dog videos just shake up the energy and just enliven myself. And then I take that energy and I put it back into the thing that I was trying to Mack truck my way through, right? So it's really not about, you got to work harder. It's really more about what is the attitude, the energy that you are bringing to the work that you're doing. And if it's starting to feel like a grind and if it's starting to feel intolerable, that doesn't necessarily mean you quit it. That means you you just need a different perspective. Go do something fun and come back and revisit the task with a new set of eyes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I want to take this. This is taking me kind of in the direction of what you're doing with your time right now. And my mind is brilliant. It's almost like you. you're giving yourself this scheduled sabbatical. Yeah. It seems like sabbaticals are becoming a little bit more widely accepted. I'm seeing them start to happen and not just like higher corporations, but smaller startups, they're, they're implementing sabbaticals. And I think it's such an important thing to embrace and, and do and give to ourselves, whether it's a, as an employee or as an entrepreneur. And so my partner actually had a sabbatical as first ever in his 43 years of working life last October. And what I watched, what I witnessed him go through was this really interesting period of that that first week was hard for him to settle. It was like he was Mm -hmm. trying to figure out what to do with all of this time that he now had. And it was really hard for him not to check his email and he just couldn't be still. So I think he ended up, because he loves to clean, it soothes him. He ended up really deep cleaning the house. (laughs) I'm thinking about, I wonder what your experience has been like going from putting such an immense amount of work into the book, birthing it, getting it out there, writing it, uh, whatever that process looked like for you to taking the time to go live in Playa del Carmen for a month. Did you you feel that? Sorry, go ahead. Thank you so much for asking this question because I like to dispel things. People see like someone living their best life on an island. No, there was a lot of planning involved. Mm -hmm. I have a lot of systems on the back end. I have a lot of discipline to not check my email and do that. I have an assistant. I'm going to share this. So the first week, I've been here so far 11 days, okay? The first week was very much, okay, I'm like getting used to it. You know, I did not check my email. I welcomed, I, my, my computer was off. I didn't even open it up. I just communicated with my assistant through Slack. It was very minimal. I didn't have any clients, nothing on my calendar. And so I was hungry for this time off. So there was no really no part of me that was like, it's hard for me to relax. Like I didn't have that. I did. However, there were some days and it was in the first week where I don't know if it was guilt, Tessa, but I felt 
this amount of relaxation was uncomfortable for me. I hit a point and we can go talk about emotional regulation, nervous system stuff that I could, I could take it there, but I don't want to. Basically I hit a point where it was too relaxed for me. And that made me feel like, Ooh, is it safe to be this relaxed? But I got over that real quick. I made friends. I figured out how to get like an at-home massage. I figured out the laundry service. Like I just started exploring every single day from the time I've been here. I'm up at the rooftop pool for about three hours a day. That's why I have this tan. And it just, you know, but now we're in our second week. I have a bike that I've rented. I know local spots. I'm actually, I, I met like a bar owner and he wants to take me to the best Italian in Playa del Carmen. And now I feel like I'm getting into like vivacious vacation Vasavi vibes. You know, it's like, oh, this is who I am when I'm carefree. This is who I am when I am totally relaxed. I meet people wherever I go. People are drawn to me. They want to take me out to dinner. I make friends wherever I go. I'm going to Cozumel with my two girlfriends that I just met down the hall. This is how my life looks when I'm totally relaxed. There are people in my life. There are surprise dinner invitations. There are magical bike rides and then beach rides and then walking the beach and doing these excursions. So I'm just getting to meet a different part of myself here. Who is Vasavi when she's not vigilant and always working and always needing to check her email? Oh, she is. She's relaxed. She like not a care in the world. We all need to experience ourselves in this way. And we need to know what that feels like. And then we can take that feeling and carry it into other areas of our life. You think I'm going to go back home to Austin and go back into frenetic scattered mode? Absolutely not. Because I have such a good idea and now feeling of what it feels like to get work done. I made two grand the first 72 hours I was here. I signed two new, uh, you know, I had a, I have a retainer client and I'm officiating a wedding. Showed me I could be on vacation and still make money. Okay, we can do that. We can live this life. But when you have that experience of that feeling inside of your body of like utter relaxation, you can channel that energy and put that into other areas of your life that normally were a little hectic and frenetic. So I'm, it's just getting better and better, Tessa. It really is. Mm, yeah. I love this. This yeah. is great. I'm so, I'm so glad to hear that too. Yeah. Okay. I was going to ask you another question on that thread, but I think I want to transition now to the idea of talking to yourself out loud. Why is it so important Certainly, like this is the central theme of the book, right? Learning yeah. how to get comfortable talking to ourselves. But let's start with why is it so important to talk to ourselves out loud? It's important to talk to ourselves out loud and say what we're thinking and feeling out loud so we can purge the shame and release the shame and not keep it all stuck inside of our body. If you think of our body as creative channels, when you're not saying something, when you're, when you're actually feeling it and you're keeping it suppressed, where does it go? It just clogs up your creative channel. And I don't know about you, but none of my best ideas come to me when I'm emotionally constipated. So just like we go to the bathroom, we have to also digest and egest emotions that have been suppressed. So if I'm alone, I live alone, right? I'm solo. I live with a, uh, but I have a golden retriever. But if I'm frustrated with something and you said, you know, if I want to call a friend, okay, great, no problem. But I'm not going to keep my anger inside. I will say out loud, God, I'm so pissed about that. I'll hear myself. We all want to be witnessed by other people, Tessa. Every single one of us want to be witnessed by other people. But we are also other people. <laughs> we can witness ourselves, right? You know, when sometimes you just like, your partner's not available to you. Maybe your friend's not available. Everyone's busy, right? And you're like, oh, I have these feelings inside of me. 
And I, I just need to talk to someone. And I, I think in those moments, I just need to talk to someone. I want to remind people, you can talk to yourself. You get that, right? You are also a someone, right? And we are so quick to be like, I need to talk to my therapist. I need to talk to my boyfriend, my partner, my girlfriend. Yes, please have community. Please have safe spaces. And you are also a person and you can talk to yourself. And that's how you get to know yourself. And you stop being a stranger to your own emotions. So you got to witness yourself and hear yourself. And then you can't lie to yourself. And that's why you need to say it out loud because you keep everything inside of your head. It all feels real. You can't distinguish what's truth and what's not because they're all just clamoring around in your head. When you say it out loud, you can transcend that ego viewpoint and you can ask yourself, is this really true? Or do I want to talk to myself this way? This is really about shaping your inner dialogue so that you have a safe place inside of your head. That's it. Mm -hmm. So sometimes I'll practice this And initially what comes up when I do say something out loud, especially when I'm by myself is a feeling of, well, this sounds silly. (laughs) You know, of course this is a negative self response, but it, I do think it's a little bit of a hurdle for us to get over in terms of getting comfortable with hearing ourselves talk to ourselves out loud. Do you have any suggestions for that? Yeah. I want to first validate that if you feel that it's weird to hear your own voice out loud, congratulations, you're not alone. Second, my goal is to help you love the sound of your voice, because think about how many of us have so much potential, beautiful poetry inside of us, art inside of us, powerful things to say. How many of us have so much inside of us that we're not expressing out loud? Think about how your words, your story, your message could help somebody else who may be suffering in silence. I want you to get used to the sound of your voice because if you get used to the sound of your voice, you'll probably start to use your voice more, right? And think about if you started to communicate what you care about, you could really start helping more people, right? Because what is the point of this life if you're not paying it forward, if you're not helping other people? And our voice is a great vehicle for self-expression and for healing. So this is just one way that I, you know, hope people can really learn to garner the boldness of their voice and use it whatever it is you want to do. Ask for what you want. Say what it is that you want out loud. Yeah. So the first step is to start speaking, get used to the sound of your own voice, get used to you asking questions, get used to you setting a boundary, get used to you striking up conversations with other people. But if you don't, if you feel foreign to your own voice, when you're with yourself, you're less likely to use it with other people. And that's very limiting, right? The reason why I can travel anywhere and make friends anywhere, I'm not afraid of people, number one. And number two, I can connect with anyone about anything. And you do that through your voice. I had a beautiful conversation with a a woman who's celebrating her 44th birthday here. She has a golden retriever. I have a golden retriever. I always stalk golden retriever owners. I go, I have to play with your dog. And then I show them a photo of my golden retriever. She doesn't speak a lick of English. My Spanish sucks, but we're talking, shedding tears about her birthday. I'm using Google Translate and talking to her. And I go, I hope you have the best birthday ever. You know, her partner has passed. She told me her husband has passed. She's here visiting her son. That is how beautiful our voice is. I can speak, speak the same language as this woman. And we connected because I chose to use my voice. I saw her golden retriever and I'm the kind of person I will stop your dog to talk to your dog. But like, think about how many connections you're not making because you're like, oh, I sound stupid. Mm-hmm. I sound dumb. Think about how many opportunities you are leaving behind because you don't want to speak up. That is why you need to learn how to talk to yourself out loud. So you don't think it's weird sound of your voice and you start to appreciate your voice and start to honor it like you should. Yeah. I love that. Such Mm -hmm. great advice. Obviously there's a difference between 
not just speaking out loud, but how we say what we're saying in terms of, I guess, not to kind of paint it as either positive or negative, but there are things, you know, you, you mentioned, like, if you're feeling pissed, you'll say, I'm really pissed right now. So how do we start to change the narrative if it's not helpful, you know, recognize it first, maybe, but how do we start to change that narrative if we're really have got a lot of negative self-talk, very judgmental of ourselves? What do we do with that? Kind of? Yeah, I like to, I say this in my book, first, you got to name your parts, right? So when I'm really pissed off, that's a uh, vicious Vasavi. I talk about this in the book. When Vasavi is angry, she, I won't be vicious to other people. I'm actually would be meaner to myself. I won't put that anger on other people. I'm really, I was hard on myself, right? I'd be like, God, you're like, and then I'd get angry at myself for being angry. Go figure. I'd be irritable and I'd be irritated with myself for being irritated because, oh, Vasavi has to be happy all the time. She can't be upset. Nothing bothers her, right? But that's how we suppress those emotions. So the way you start to work on that self-talk is I allow myself to feel how I'm feeling and state exactly how I feel without editing it or filtering it. I'm not necessarily going to call up my girlfriend and be like, I'm so fucking pissed right now. Do you want to? I'm not going to dump that on somebody else. No, I'm not going to do that. But with myself, I honor and acknowledge what I'm going through. And I'm like, man, I'm really mad right now. I let that out. And then in the book, I talk about this. You can prompt yourself with questions to probe deeper. And I might ask myself, what's really going on underneath that anger? Now, I'm very honest with myself, right? So it doesn't take long for me to move through things. Because when you're honest with yourself, you're not stuck in a story. You're not stuck in the BS. You're not stuck in the lies. You're like, this is what pissed me off. I don't like when people talk to me this way. And you just validate what you're going through. Honor your feeling. And then you can probe even deeper and say, well, you know, what do you need right now? Like what, you know, I, I, or you don't even need to say anything to yourself. You can just say, yeah, I hear you. I see you. Like you got to acknowledge and validate how you feel so that you can move through it and then respond from a calmer place, right? We don't want to walk around yelling at people. This is not what this is about. When you learn to talk to yourself in a kinder way, you, you're like, ooh, that tone of voice feels a little harsh. How can I be kinder to myself in this moment? And it might be like, listen, I know that we're really angry right now. What do we need to do to just kind of move through this? Not just get over it, right? What do we need to move, th- have this anger move through us, you know? You could either sit with your anger. That's fine. That doesn't work for me. I don't like sitting. I'd rather sit with my sadness than sit with anger. With anger, I want to move that out of me. Not because it's a bad thing or a good thing. My skin feels like it's crawling when I'm angry. So when I'm angry, I move. I say, get up. We're going to get up, go for a walk. I listen to some music. I sort it out with myself. And, and sometimes when I'm walking, I'll say like, man, I'm mad. I'll just let myself fume for a little bit. Like we need to allow ourselves to feel how we feel, unedited, unfiltered, witness that, be with ourselves through that. And then we can, from a clearer headspace, decide what are we going to do next? So I would say, pay attention to your tone of voice that you use with yourself. Look at how you speak to yourself. When you say out loud how you're speaking to yourself, your words carry vibrations, right? So your body will feel how that sounds. And then you can soothe yourself using the tone of your voice, your cadence, your pitch, the texture of the tone. So yeah, you can have a lot of fun with your voice. And I encourage my readers to do that in the book. Do you have any tips on, so thinking about implementing something like this as a daily practice, you know, I remember to do this every, gosh, it feels like, I don't know, maybe quarterly at best. (laughs) What are your tips for implementing this into your life? 
more regularly. Yeah. So if you were to make like verbal regulation or checking, even checking in with yourself as part of your daily practice, put a timer on your phone, like every hour on the hour or every two hours and have it be like, how am I feeling today? Do How am I feeling right now? Do I feel safe? Do I feel seen? Do I feel loved by me or by, by anyone? And then ask yourself those questions out loud. Ask yourself like, how do I feel right now? I feel good. Just check in with yourself. So many of us are disembodied. We are not even connected to how we feel. I was the kind of person, okay, Tessa, whenever my sister would call me, my older sister, and I cannot lie to her, she'd call me up and she'd be like, how are you feeling? And I'd be like, I signed a new client. I did this. I did that. She goes, why are you telling me everything that you did? I asked how you feel. How are you feeling? And that's my sister and I, when we were kids, I mean, she would bully me all the time. She's still so sorry to me. And I let her know that she was a really mean older sister, but you know, we moved apart. Then we got back together. We're very close now. That was one of the reasons why her and I really, it was hard for her to connect with me and her because she would ask me, and this was like in my early thirties, she would ask me like, how are you doing? Or how are you feeling today? Or how are you? And I would immediately go into my laundry list of accomplishments. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm just sharing that story because so many of us evaluate like, did I do this off my checklist? Did I do this? Did I hit that goal? But it's like, no, but how are you feeling? How do you feel? You know, they're like, well, I don't know how I feel. Okay. When's the last time you were like in your body? <laughs> what do you, where, where are you? right? And so many of us are operating from the neck up. And so my hope in like, by you talking to yourself out loud and putting in those alarm timers, just to check in with yourself, how am I feeling right now? Hello, is anyone in there? You know, and you can ask yourself that you can interrupt the pattern. And the pattern has been do, 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 do. And then, oh, I finally deserve a break. I'm like, I don't deserve a break. I'm going to take a break no matter what. This, there's no deserving in here for me. I take a break because I want it, not because I'm deserving of it. You got what I'm saying? Little shift in languaging. So you can also first thing in the morning, sound of your own voice, say what you want. But I, every morning when I get up, I say, thank you, God, for another day of life. First thing I say in the morning. Because my mind, Tessa, if we're anything alike, as soon as we get up, it is easy for me to fall into the pattern of like the laundry list of things that I need to do. So I interrupt that barrage of thoughts and I just say, thank you, God, for another day alive. And I love saying these words because they're words of love and words of appreciation. So even if it's like getting up in the morning and saying, thank you, universe, thank you, God, thank you, whatever, for another day alive. What a beautiful way to hear the sound of your own voice first thing in the morning. Yeah. That's such a great practice. Thank you. Try it out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's another timer I'll put on my phone so that I remember to do that. Yeah. (laughs) I know you talk about this in the book. I wanted to hear the, it's kind of like an origin story how, and I was listening to another podcast. It's funny the other day about how the things that we do in childhood that often get us in trouble, let's say like for in school are usually become our superpower when we're older. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to hear your story around that. Oh, two things stand out. Uh, Third grade, Mrs. Leland. Mrs. Leland's third grade class. So we had a group and it was the conflict mediation group. So we were handpicked to be on this conflict mediation group where our job was to help resolve any of the third graders fights, right? So I felt this was a very distinguished honor because I was hand selected to be on the conflict resolution team. That's what it was. Anyway, we all had our during our lunchtime, we had our conflict mediation group meetings. And I was, I don't even know why I'm putting in quotes. It was really a group meeting though. And so I remember in third grade, Miss Leland was asking us questions and I was so excited and I kept raising my hand. And one time I got so excited. I said, I can't answer. my pen flew out of my hand. 
pencil, number two pencil, flew out of my hand. I was just so excited to answer the question. I just love learning, you know, and I was that student that I was like, I have the answer not because I wanted to show off, because I was a hungry learner. I love to learn. And if I know the answer, teacher's asking a question, I'm going to raise my hand. And Ms. Leland said to me, stop getting so excited. Give other people a chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was off that conflict resolution team like a week later. But yeah, that really stuck with me because it's like, oh, can't get too excited. Can't show that I'm too excited. Can't show that I'm too passionate. Other people are going to feel upset. I need to give other people a chance. So I need to shut my mouth a little bit. No, I don't. No, I don't. I don't. We need more people who are passionate and want to raise their hands. You know what I mean? So that's in school. That was one thing. Second thing was I was a little bit of a class clown sophomore year of high school. Yeah. I got in a lot of trouble in high school. So I was um, I was considered a class clown. I became very disruptive. And I'm not disrespectful to teachers. I wasn't raised in a house where my parents blamed the teacher. I was raised in the house where we got in trouble if the teachers had a problem with us, you know? So my parents never blamed the teachers. And so I just became a little bit of a class clown, you know, just needed wanting attention. But um, I'm funny. I'm really funny. You may not know this because, you know, we're on a podcast interview about my book, but like I'm actually really funny. I did a comedy set in December. I took a comedy writing class and I wrote a five minute set and it was called Brown Sheep. So I'm the brown sheep of the family. I'm Indian. And I talked about in my addict days, I, I, was, I was using a lot of drugs. And I talked about how as an Indian immigrant, we're such overachievers. I even became like an overachiever with how I use drugs. Like it was really funny. Like the whole thing was funny. And then I talked about how when I was seven, my mom caught me masturbating and how she was like, you need to be studying instead of like the whole thing was really funny. It's on my Instagram. <laughs> anyway, yeah, those are the things that I was, you know, got in trouble for. Oh, you're too much. You talk too much. Almost you're too passionate right? You're too passionate. And um, yeah, I just inappropriate timing with my jokes, but it works for me now. You know, with age comes a little refinement. I've refined that part of myself, but I'll never let those parts of me die. I am super passionate. Why is it not cool to share our excitement? Why is it cool to be like, oh, I have, I'm chill. Like if something excites me, I'm going to show it. Like I was riding my bike on the boardwalk here in Playa del Carmen. I don't care who was around me, Tessa. I literally yelled out loud, what? Like I was so happy. I had like I had palm trees around me. I'm wearing a little tennis skirt. I'm getting my tan on. I'm my cute little bike with the basket. I was that girl. And I was like, Wee! and I said, this is so magical. And I said it out loud. I was like, oh my God, look at us basking in all of God's glory. Like, do you really think I'm gonna sit here and be like, yeah, it's cool? No, it's a beautiful. And I'm gonna say it out loud. And I wanted to feel that and I wanted to say it, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. that's such good advice. I love yeah. that you yourself do that. I'm thinking about if those listening are parents of young children who want to encourage those things that really excite their kids, but maybe have that tendency to kind of shut it down because it feels, I don't know, overpowering or for teachers, it might feel a disruptive. Would you have any advice for those parents? Yeah. Find an outlet for your kids. Don't be a wet blanket period. Just because you don't have that kind of excitement in your life, don't get so bothered by your kid's excitement that you shut it down. If you see that your kid is like very theatrical and very artsy, put them in an art class, put them in a drama class, put them in an acting class. Don't shut them down. That is the best parts of them. Those are the best parts of your kids because you can, I'm very passionate about this. Like I'm so grateful to my parents. When I wanted to try something, they put me in it. My mother said, you're really good at this. I'm going to put you in this class. You're really good at piano. I'm going to put you in piano class. My mother fostered the best parts of me. She fostered it. I mean, 
she's still a very harsh Indian immigrant mother who would slap the hell out of me if I didn't listen to her. Okay. And I don't condone, you know, corporal, please don't hit your kids. Don't do like my mom did. But what my mother did do very well is that she invested in my growth and my creativity. She took us traveling when we were kids. You know, that's why I'm able to hop around from country to country like this. If I want to, I'm not scared. If you see that your kid is enlivened by something, is lit up by something, it should be a crime for you to shut that part of your kid down because that is literally the God's grace that's been given to them. Like that's their special sauce. That's what God has given them. So who are you to take that away? Because you can't handle it. So channel it into something, right? If you start looking for your kid's strengths, look to see what livens them, what enlivens them and find ways, communities, classes, teachers to foster that. That's it. Don't shut it down. I get very heated about this conversation because I see it and it's sad to watch. When I do do a target run, which we all love our target runs, the only time a target run becomes painful for me is when I see a mother or a father talking to their kid in such a mean way. And I, I feel like saying you're killing your kid's spirit. You're killing like when, when you, you know, this one girl wanted to buy this shirt and her mom was like, you're too fat to wear that. I shared this on my social media and I was like, Vasavi, don't say anything. That is none of your business. Do not tell that mother how to be a mom. But, you know, that's the kind of thing, right? The way we talk to our children, you're literally installing shame in them. You're installing judgment in them. Kids are not born with that. Parents install it into their brains by how they talk to them, by what they say. Or maybe you're the kind of parent that gives your kid the silent treatment. All of it is abusive. Stop doing it and foster your kid's creativity. Good advice. Well, so this is kind of on the same thread. I'm thinking about this from the lens of identifying as female, growing up as a woman, and often we're taught to be quiet, to be nice, to not to speak out loud. It's not always, well, at least it wasn't when I was growing up. I do feel a shift in that now, but I'm 40. So I've been practicing this for a long time. It's kind of ingrained. Mm -hmm. (laughs) How do we begin to break that cycle after decades of that self-suppression. So I'm glad you asked this question. I'm going to give a solution. I have a program coming up in September. It's called the Bold Voice Training Program. It's for people who are, you already have achieved a certain level of something in your life, right? You know, you're, you're happy in certain areas of your life, but you realize that you do hold back. You need to be around other people who are also committed to their self-expression. So many of us in our families were taught that we were too much or don't say anything, don't rock the boat, none of that, right? I've created a training program, a community and a training program where that's what you're practicing. You're practicing your energy, but you know, leaning into your bold energy, your bold presence, your bold personality, your bold connection, your bold expression. What does Tessa sound like when she's not limiting her expression. I have a a man who just joined, Joseph. And one of the things that he said to me, he's like, I want to be able to use my voice. Like when I'm the most relaxed and confident, he goes, I want to be able to speak like that everywhere. I go, yeah, well, you need practice doing that. You have it in you. This is not about finding your voice. I'm all about refining your voice, right? Because you've been using your voice up and there's nothing, you you don't have to find your voice. You've been using it but you haven't refined it. You haven't put your special sauce on it. How do you speak? What's your cadence? I want your voice to feel like music to you, right? I use my voice. I'm also a voiceover artist. Y'all need to know this. I do. I am a trained voiceover artist. So I'm heavy into the, you got to play with your voice. Like, okay. For example, you watch the Kardashians. It's okay. If you do, I watch the Kardashians. Okay. I, I always study people's voices. 
And when you listen to Chloe or Kim or any any of them speak, I swear, if it was like a on a, like a BPM machine, whatever, it's like flatline. They don't really have any inflection. Everything is just like this and nothing seems to bother them. And I'm like, oh my God, like you guys really have no emotion. Like what? You're so robotic. And like, that's the shit that I'm talking about. Like, love the Kardashians. You can learn so much from them. But if you just look at voice quality, right? Why don't you have any inflection? Put some life into your voice. You know what I mean? Like I can talk to anyone on the phone and they still love me, Tessa. You know why? Because I just... My voice, I have learned how to use my voice to connect with other people. You got to practice it. You need practice. If you don't know how to do something, it doesn't mean you suck at it. You just do not have practice. I've created a community and a training program where the sole purpose is for you to find out who, how you sound and what you can sound like when you're completely uninhibited, where you are actually in this program so you could play with your voice and see what else do I sound like? What's another part of me? And actually one of the prerequisites for my program, Bold Voice Training Program, is to read my book, say it out loud, because that's really the foundation of like, get to like your voice. You got to start learn to like your voice. Most people, I mean, you know, think about it. When you look in the mirror, how many of us say such mean stuff to ourselves, right? That's why many of the exercises in my book, I say, do it in front of a mirror, right? You could tell a lot about your relationship with yourself by if you can stand in front of the mirror and talk to yourself and not cringe. I don't cringe when I look in the mirror. I love when I look in the mirror. You've got to love your reflection. You've got to love looking at yourself and hear yourself speak. Because if you do not even like that reflection, you're not going to go out into the world spreading this beautiful, awesome energy around you. It's going to be closed off. It's going to be self-conscious and you're not open and you're not connecting with people. So join my program. That's what I got. <laughs> that's what I got. That, that's how you learn. You got to practice. You got to be in a community of people that want that their sole purpose is to be unhinged in their voice. Like mm -hmm. I'm, this is me. Find out who that is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. cool. We'll make Thanks. sure we get that link in our show Thank notes you. so people can find that. Yeah. Vasavi, I want to be mindful of your time. I, yeah. I just have a couple more questions for you. One is, you know, I think it's important to have either a key takeaway, like let's sum up what you hope people take from this conversation, or maybe it's from the book or both. Okay. Here's a question I want you to ask yourself with any situation that you're in, whether you're a host of a podcast, whether you're, when you're talking to a potential client, whatever it is, right? Just ask yourself, how can I infuse a little bit more fun in this conversation? I think we have become so serious that we have lost the best parts of us. We've silenced it. Just ask yourself, how can I add a little bit more fun into this interaction and see how that, what that brings out in you, right? For me, whether I'm in Austin working with a client or virtually, or I'm in Playa del Carmen getting coconut water, I'm bringing my effervescent energy with me wherever I go because I believe that it's the people that we meet that really do just like, strings us together into like, what's next? What's next? It's like, we don't live in this world and operate alone. So just, I really ask yourself, how do I bring more fun to this interaction? How do I bring more fun into this task that I'm doing? And just, it, it just, it just brings out a different part of you, a childlike, innocent, pure part of you that I think is really the, the life source of everything that we bring forth in this lifetime. Mm, thank you. I love that. Yeah. So make sure that, so Vasavi has a very, if you love this conversation, if you want to learn more, there is also a podcast, which is so yeah. much fun, just like yeah. 
this, you know, and it's called Say It Out Loud, the podcast. I think your website's probably the best, right? Yeah. Yeah. Go to my website. Bossamikumar.com. Yeah. Yeah. Which is the name. And we'll make sure that gets into the show notes too. Last question I want to make sure I ask is about the ethos of this podcast, Radically Loved, which Rosie Acosta, the creator, the brainchild of this ethos of the idea that we are all radically loved by whatever source that we ascribe to God, universe, um, you know, whatever we call it. And so the question is, Typically, Rosie will ask this as a two-parter, and I'm going to do the same. (laughs) So the question is, how do you feel radically loved, and what do you radically love? I feel radically loved when someone says, when I hear the words, I love the way you think. Mm. Yeah, I love the way you think. As someone who was diagnosed with psychiatric illness, bipolar disorder at the age of 19, you can imagine how isolating it is and how mean our society is when it comes to mental illnesses that people don't understand. So for someone to say to me, man, I love the way you think. Oh my God. That, first of all, that's a hella turn on. But second of all, it's one way for me to feel radically loved. Like, oh, you love the way that I think. Because when you're given a diagnosis and a label, right? And um, society isn't very kind to people who have bipolar disorder. People say all sorts of things. They compare the weather to bipolar disorder. And I go, you sound like an idiot when you do that. But when people can appreciate my brain, that feels really good. And um, what do I radically love? What a great question. What a great question. Man, I need to ask myself this question more. And I do want to say that not because you just said this, but I do love the way that you think. It's been so great talking to you, reading your book, just, I mean, clearly it is how you're thinking that's allowing you to disseminate this information and share it with us. So I want to know. You don't know this, but I have tears behind my eyeballs that are not going to come out because I'm telling it, boss, get it together. You're on an interview. You are not going to cry because she just said that. Thank you. That really touched my heart. I have tears literally behind my eyeballs ready to come out. That's, I, I'm touched by that. And that's why I appreciate you saying that. What do I radically love? I radically love to show people the best parts of them and highlight the parts of them that maybe they don't, they take for granted. Mm-hmm. When I see something, when I feel something, when someone says something and I can like spot like a, oh, have you ever thought about doing more of that? You're really awesome. You should do that. I love showing that to people because it's a, such a beautiful mirror, right? I think we all need a loving mirror, a mirror that's going to show us who we can be and the parts of us that are really beautiful. So that's one way that I radically love others. And what I do to feel radically loved is to show others the best parts of them. Mm, That's such a, you know, I feel called to make that a, an invitation to, you know, today after listening to this podcast, maybe if you are in conversation with someone who even you just met or someone that you know very well and and love to recognize something in them and maybe say it out loud. Hey, have you ever thought about this? You, you seem like you'd be really good at it. Yeah. Yeah. Fun call to action. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to add before we say goodbye? It's been such a pleasure speaking with you. I don't like to say goodbye. I say, see you later because you never know, Tessa. Yeah. I might see you later. We don't know. <laughs> Why are we saying goodbye? I'm going to see you later. What is that? Cowboys don't say goodbye. They say, 
Howdy. Until next time. Oh, until next time. Until next, I don't know. <laughs> I can't remember. This. I think this comes from Yellowstone. I'm not sure if you're a fan of the show, but I heard about Yellowstone. It's on Hulu, right? I think it's Peacock. I want to say it's Peacock. Okay. HBO Max. Okay. Well, I, I have heard of Yellowstone. Isn't Matthew McConaughey the guy now? It's Kevin Costner and uh, oh, who are the other actors? Kevin Costner is the main one because for me, it, he was the childhood crush. <laughs> oh my God. Kevin Costner is so handsome, but I am all day, every day. Bradley Cooper. Oh my God. Oh, yeah. Brad- Bradley Cooper for me is like, I will go wherever you go, Bradley. Like I would, every independent bone in my body would just fall to ashes, will just crumble into ashes. If Bradley Cooper said, I love you, Vasavi, let me love you. And I'd say, screw it. I don't need to be financially independent. Just do everything. Provide for me, daddy. That's what I would say. Uh, I love this conversation. (laughs) If you're listening, I am so red right now. I think I'm, I'm not sure why I'm blushing. I think it's you know, the heartthrob of thinking about Kevin Costner and Bradley Cooper. Oh my God, what a gorgeous man. Matthew McConaughey too, but Matthew McConaughey, I don't know. I love him like to look at, but like, I wouldn't want to marry Matthew McConaughey. I'd marry Bradley Cooper. I would, (laughs) I would marry Aaron Rodgers. Ben Affleck, I don't think I could marry a Ben Affleck. I mean, obviously he's taken, but I also feel there's something about him that I feel could be mean, like a coldness to him. I don't know. I just, I have this like, I don't know if I fully trust him. Bradley Cooper, I trust him. Yeah, you got to listen to those gut instincts. Kevin Costner, yes, uh-huh. for sure. Right. Wait, what was he in with Melanie Griffith? That's who he was married to. Melanie I think Griffith. so. I, or was that Don Johnson? Oh, I'm good, dude. I'm getting Don Johnson and Kevin Costner. I think Don Johnson. Okay, we got to stop this conversation. This is like a part two about it. What do you radically love? I radically love Kevin Costner. Yes, right. That's the takeaway from the show. (laughs) Seriously, fantasy husband. Thank you so much for listening to the Radically Loved podcast. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook at Radically Loved Rosie, on Instagram at Rosie Acosta, and Twitter at Rosie Acosta. By the way, this is original music by DJ Taz Rashid. You can follow DJ Taz on Spotify and check out the best music for yoga and meditation. This has been a Mod Pod Studio production. Check them out at www.modpodstudio.com.